Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkshire, host, and our guest is Professor John Romer, the Elizabeth S. and A. Varick Stout Professor of Political Science and Economics. Professor Romer's research concerns political economy and distributive justice. His books include Racism, Xenophobia, and Distribution, Democracy, Education, and Equality, Political Competition, Equality of Opportunity, and Theories of Distributive Justice. Professor Romer is here today to talk about the future of capitalism. Welcome, Professor Romer. Thank you, Marilyn. In your most recent work, you explore the future of capitalism. Give us your perspective. Well, because we're in this massive crisis, uh, a lot of people are talking about what should be done to prevent these crises from happening in the future, as well as obviously solving the present crisis. Mm -hmm. But I think there's been a, a wrong-headed approach to the question of how to prevent these crises in the future in the following sense, that <clears throat> all the discussants in this debate, or almost all of them, <clears throat> take uh, people as they are, including people on Wall Street, uh, and, and are trying to design techniques to make sure that a system which is run by people who, a financial sector that's run in large part by people who are out to maximize their wealth and are greedy, uh, that will work even under such a system. And I think the history of capitalism shows that there's really no way of designing a foolproof set of rules that will work uh, if there are intelligent and avaricious people who want to circumvent them. Okay, so how do the preferences of individuals fit into your theory? So there's been a, uh, <clears throat> there's been a, a very active area of research in economics over the last 30 years, uh, which attempts to design uh, rules which will lead people, regardless of what their values or preferences are, to do things which are uh, in, uh, socially optimal, good for the welfare of people. Uh, the simplest example with which uh, most people are familiar uh, is the Adam Smith quote that uh, uh, if uh, even though the baker and the candlestick maker and so on are out for their own good and out to maximize their own profits, in a market system with competition, if they do so, that will lead to the social good. Well, there's been a lot of criticism of that naive, laissez-faire philosophy uh, in, in the last uh, 100 years, at least. Um, and, but the, in the last 30 years, as I said, there's been an effort in economics to see if, they can, if we can design more sophisticated systems of rules that will work even when uh, people are greedy and avaricious and are only looking out for themselves. Work in the sense of delivering outcomes that are good for society. And uh, in fact, the Nobel Prize was awarded to three economists two years ago who were uh, instrumental in developing this, uh, this area. Uh, my view, however, is that it's really not going to be possible to design such rules, uh, given people uh, who are avaricious and out only for themselves, that the only hope of designing rules which will bring about a good uh, outcome in society and in a market economy is if people's preferences change and become more concerned with other people, more solidaristic. Mm -hmm. 
you argue that crises can bring about greater social insurance. What do you mean by that? So uh, how would preferences change? I, I, I'm not a utopian in the sense that I don't believe that uh, jawboning by uh, uh, even as charismatic a politician as Barack Obama or other uh, leaders uh, or more ethics courses in business schools is going to be enough to get people to think more solidaristically. Uh, uh, I think, however, that there are laws of motion of the development of solidarity, and my own view is that crises uh, can start off a sequence of events that may end up in people's becoming more solidaristic uh, and changing their values and their preferences. Do you think that it's possible for capitalism to achieve stability um, and relative equality of condition? So let me, let me before I get to that, let okay. me explain this uh, sequence of events. Okay. So one thing that crises do is they tend to uh, reduce uh, all people to the same situation. Mm -hmm. They wipe out wealth. They, in particular, they make the risks that different people face much more similar than they were before the crisis. So middle class people, let's say, and working class people now are facing risks which are much more similar with respect to unemployment and the possibility of financing their retirement than was the case before the crisis. And uh, when people face risks when people have risk exposures, which are very similar in terms of the chances of good and bad things mm -hmm. happening to them, it's much easier to design universal insurance. Everybody will want the insurance. Uh, and so, in particular, I think that one good consequence of this current crisis, every cloud has a silver lining, mm -hmm. is that national health insurance will be much easier to pass now because there will be much more universal support for it. Um, I think once these insur insurance is, ex is, is extended in this manner, uh, then I think people's preferences change because they like, they begin to like the society where a certain kind of poverty is eliminated. Mm -hmm. There won't be uh, people without insurance. There won't be crowded emergency rooms full of uninsured poor people who can't get care any other way. Uh, and even costs will probably go down because, or they won't accelerate so fast, because with universal insurance, the, uh, the government will have uh, uh, an incentive to keep prices down, and uh, for instance, drug prices. So uh, it seems to me that what will happen is after the passage of health insurance, people will come to like that new kind of society just the way people came to like uh, the system with Social Security after 1935, despite the fact that the right wing had opposed Social Security very strenuously, as they are now or have been opposing national health insurance in the past 20 years. So my view is that uh, insurance, which is initially adopted because from a self-interested viewpoint, people are facing the same risks, mm -hmm. and so they want the, everybody wants the insurance, then people begin to like the new society, and their preferences become somewhat more desiring of equality, and then they go farther. They pass new kinds of social insurance because their preferences have changed and they want to get rid of other kinds of poverty and other kinds of inequality. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, a crisis can set in motion 
uh, sequence of insurance followed by preference changes followed by more insurance, which leads to more equality. And I think there are two major historical examples of this in recent history. One is the Great Depression, which uh, made people so similar in their risk profiles that there was support for Social Security. And the other was the Second World War, which uh, wiped out a lot of wealth in Europe uh, and in Japan and homogenized people's risk exposures in that sense. And the consequence of the Second World War was a massive growth in the welfare state after the Second World War. That is to say, many more insurance programs were voted in by citizens as a consequence, I think, of the, of the crisis of the war. Okay. You cite the Scandinavian experience as particularly um, successful. Do you think the U.S. can learn something from them? So I think Scandinavia is often cited as a special case because uh, they, these are small countries, the Nordic countries, uh, and they're, at least in the time when they enacted their, the legislation which uh, brought about their welfare states, they were very homogeneous countries with respect to ethnicity and language and religion. Uh, and so many people say that there was a natural solidarity among Scandinavians because of their, their racial and similarities and religious homogeneity and so on. And so they had a natural feeling of solidarity for each other. And that's what engendered the large welfare states. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually challenge that view. I okay. think that, this, that the homogeneity of Scandinavia was important because it also meant that the people were very similar with respect to the risks they faced, with respect to illness, and with respect to unemployment, and, with, and uh, longevity. So, so the, and I think it was that homogeneity of the risk exposures which made it easy for the welfare state to get started in these countries. Uh, and then the process that I mentioned, I think, took over, and the Scandinavian countries have gone much farther than simple self-interested insurance would require. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as the United States is concerned, you said, what's the lesson for the U.S.? Well, the parallel I'm drawing is that we're now in a crisis which is going to homogenize people with respect to their risk exposures, at least the working class and the middle class to some extent. Mm -hmm. And I think that will form a powerful electoral block or support for social insurance, which will then change people's preferences. The difference, of course, between the United States and Scandinavia is that we have a very large uh, uh, minority population. We're a very heterogeneous country ethnically. And I think the racism that has been the result of slavery uh, is the main reason that there hasn't been a larger welfare state in the United States in, until now. So it's been slow going here mm -hmm. because of the history of slavery and the lack of solidarity that that uh, brought about between, uh, between white and black uh, citizens. Okay, so what do you think is the future of capitalism here in this country? It's very hard to say. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't have, have any, crystal ball. I don't have any crystal ball. And uh, I think there are a lot of people who are much more knowledgeable about the financial sector than I am. A lot of economists like uh, uh, Joe Stiglitz and Paul Krugman and so on. Uh, and I look to them for instruction about the details of what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But my hope is, uh, as I've said, that the crisis will bring about uh, more social insurance uh, for the reasons I've outlined 
And the consequence of that will be that Americans become more desirous of equality than they currently are. I mean, there are, let's face it, there are about one half of the population of the United States does not particularly like e more equality. I mean, this is uh, probably a fair characterization of the people who voted for McCain in the presidential election, which was about half the population. So uh, I think preferences have to change, and my hope is that uh, uh, the crisis will have, have that good effect. What the steady state will be, uh, I don't know. I mean, how egalitarian will the United States become? Will it ever look like Sweden? Maybe in 500 years. Wow. Okay, very good. Thank you very much for joining us um, today. Thank you. For more information about Professor Romer and his work, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Macmillan Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.